0: You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Shimmy Kang, talking about her new book, The Tech Solution, Creating Healthy Habits for Kids Growing Up in a Digital World. Shimmy is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a best-selling author, the founder of Dolphin Kids, the CEO of Spark Mindset, and the host of the YouTube show Mental Wealth with Dr. Shimmy Kang. Dr. Kang is an expert on the neuroscience of addiction, and in her new book, she looks at how that plays out when it comes to technology. Today, we're going to talk about whether technology really is addicting, what parents can do to address it, how to teach healthy technology use, how to guide your teenager through a visualization exercise that will actually lead to meaningful change in their behavior, and why parents need to get involved in technology change also. Really excited To dive into all that and more on the show today. Dr. Kang, thank you so much for making the time to be here. Tell me about what inspired the book and why you went through all the effort of, you know, doing all this research and uh, writing it all down.
1: Right. So, you know, I really have to say I was inspired by observing my own children. I have two teenage boys and a 10-year-old girl And really, since they were babies, I've noticed how they are drawn to technology like a magnet. And, you know, and I see that all around me, not just in my kids, but in my practice as a psychiatrist. You know, after I wrote my parenting book, The Dolphin Parent, when I was going and doing speaking and podcasts and events, the number one question that always came was technology and yeah. what is it doing to our young people's brains? Mm. How can we as parents uh, manage it? It's really a, a tough issue. It seems overwhelming. It's not something we grew up with. So there's a generation gap there. Totally. Uh, and then, you know, my background is in addiction. So, you know, the, the aspect of tech that has that persuasive design and the dopamine. Uh, really drew me in as a scientist as well. So, you know, I think there was a lot of factors that came together to write this book.
0: Okay, so talk to me about addiction. They say technology is addicting, but compared to like things that are really addicting, like drugs and gambling, that you know, Facebook is is not really in that class, right?
1: Well, it really, I would say, you know, it's a spectrum, and uh, technology has something called persuasive design, Mm -hmm. and that is an intentional use of the neuroscience of the brain's dopamine pathways. To get little hits of pleasure, uh, little hits of dopamine through different things, aspects of technology, whether it's a like or a video game hit, uh, or collecting a coin or gathering followers. So you know, it's uh, of course not or keeping as, a streak. Yes, exactly the the Snapchat streaks. You're right. Uh, so it's not as addicting as cocaine, of course, but for some people, and I have them in my practice, uh, and I talk about these cases in my book, it actually can be devastating, destroying their life. Um, You know, they're getting into things like online gambling, online pornography, even video gaming, uh, social media. And there is internet addiction disorder, which is now a medical diagnosis. Wow. So, you know, we don't want to demonize this. Tech is so important in our lives. It's, it's, it's a key to our survival and thriving in this new world. But we also have to remember that, you know, there's a downside and, and really work with the power of this technology.
0: And just like our role as a parent is to protect our kids from a lot of those other dangers until they're old enough to kind of handle them. Maybe there's a role in there for technology also. I thought it was really interesting. You talk about Sean Parker from Facebook has admitted that they designed the whole thing not to help people connect, but uh, to addict and hook people.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting when we did the research on what's happening in Silicon Valley. And we actually found that, you know, tech executives are are actually not using, allowing their children to use technology because uh, right. they, they understand the neuroscience that's in there. And I don't want to say that, you know, this is a big evil industry and conspiracy. Their goal isn't to destroy children's lives and brains, but their goal is very clearly uh, it is a consumer product um, designed to attract your attention and keep your attention. The side effect of that is anxiety, depression, lack of movement, sleep deprivation, decreased socialization, and all of the things that go with it. So you know, I don't think these companies were intending to see the big um, medical issues that have come up, but now they're here. So we have to deal with them.
0: With addiction comes, you know, other things like withdrawal when you stop using whatever it is. So do you see that then with these cases of technology addiction that there's a phase of withdrawal?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I've seen teenagers who get very aggressive, you know, when parents try to remove the Xbox or their phone. I've seen violence. Uh, I've seen kids run away from home. I've seen kids wow. have panic attacks, uh, you know, they just can't handle it. Even in my office, you know, I ask the teenagers I work with to put the phone on my desk. And many of them can't do that. They they're like, Dr. King, can I just hold it in my hand or sit on it? <laughs> I need to feel it. Uh, so I definitely have seen that uh, in my practice. Wow. Sure. I feel it myself. Sometimes I feel When I don't have my phone, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm missing something.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think we all have a bit of that.
0: So then is that a bad thing or what, you know, what should we be doing about that to uh, address it?
1: Yeah. So in the book, I talk about uh, habits and I... We talk about something called neuroplasticity, and what that means is you know, when we create a habit, when we walk on a trail, just like in the trails in a forest, the more we walk on them, the more they develop, and the more we have habits, the stronger they get. So, if we have a habit of checking our phone, and right now, teenagers are checking their phone 150 times a day, um, so you know, that is going to become a super highway in our brain right. where you know, we're constantly checking our phone, you know, we could be at uh, the dinner table, we could be in a class, we could be at a wonderful concert listening to amazing music and that habit, that compulsion to check our phones is going to be there. So I think because of the power of the persuasive design, we really need to be intentional with having a healthy relationship with tech so that we can utilize it in our service, our health, our happiness, our innovation, our success, as opposed to kind of feeding that attention economy
0: the cases that you have where it gets really bad with technology what is causing that compared to kids who are able to handle it safely and you know not get carried away with it and not have to have a problem what do you think are the factors that um, separate those
1: So the risk factors for tech addiction are very similar to other addictions. So anyone, let's say with, um, you know, comorbid or underlying anxiety, uh, you know, depression, any history of trauma, if they're already, uh, let's say have ADHD, you know, those kids are more likely to get in trouble with tech because partly they're self-medicating with the use of tech, and anyone, I wanna say, who has poor coping skills, difficulty regulating emotion, managing anger, or dealing with boredom, um, and use their phone to distract themselves, right? And this is a habit a lot of us do, is we feel stressed, we go into freeze, fight, or flight. Freeze is anxiety, fight is anger, and flight is distraction. So we go into distraction mode and we check our phone. And then what happens is the phone becomes our only coping skill. Uh, and those kids who don't have other coping skills uh, can get into trouble. So I really talk about how to build healthy coping skills uh, in young people. Uh, I think it's a key thing, you know, in the school system, we teach all kinds of stuff. I think the number one thing we really do need to teach is emotional regulation, social skills, uh, and, and coping skills.
0: It's huge. And it's, I think, counterintuitive sometimes because you think, oh, we got to limit the tech. We need to put some rules, you know, and we need to get some parental controls or change the password on the Wi-Fi. And, you know, um, sure. But also kind of looking at these underlying issues is developing the coping skills, you know, putting up the regulations um, is maybe not that helpful if you're not actually addressing the underlying problem by teaching those skills. And you have some stories in here about like residential programs kids go to that are working through tech addiction, and they develop a lot of those. It's it's pretty profound, actually, some of the transformations that you talk about in here.
1: Yeah, it's it really is a balance as a parent because you want to guide your child, but at the same time, you don't want to inhibit them from all the benefits of tech. And I say It's kind of like for a teenager. We don't just give them the keys to a car, right? We first talk about driving and then then they take lessons and then we drive with them and then they're allowed to go on local roads before the highway. And, you know, when we give our children phones, we kind of we want to take the same approach is first show them how to use it, talk to them about it allow them to be on local roads, meaning, okay, you can text your friends and family. If you can handle that, then you can text other people. You can use social media to communicate. And if you handle that well, then you can post. So, you know, and then allowing them to slowly gain that independence And really, you know, it is a very powerful thing. So we want to treat it and respect that, that power that it is.
0: So is there any hope then if you are past that point already and your 14-year-old has free reign of tech and um, you're now just kind of saying to yourself, oh man, I really should have, I got to kind of impose some boundaries and limitations here.
1: Yeah, there's definitely always hope. Uh, I say our brain has this wonderful thing. It's a complex word for hope, but it's called neuroplasticity. Uh, And what that means is we can always change our habits, we can always learn, we can rewire basically who we are, all of our daily habits. It does take time, it takes effort. Luckily, young people are more neuroplastic, meaning it's easier to change habits under the age of 24, because the brain is still developing, it's maturing, it's already wiring and rewiring. So in the tech solution book, I have a six step plan on um, exactly how to reset your family's tech diet, uh, and go through it sequentially and step by step, because families need help. It's not going to happen magically, you can't just say, okay, we're going to do it, you need a plan and a process to go through.
0: can you talk a little bit about burnout and where burnout comes from and how to recognize burnout and handle it
1: yeah so burnout's a really interesting word because it's becoming a medical diagnosis it's not quite there yet it's it's being looked at in Europe and actually being used for disability now wow. so you know burnout is similar to symptoms of depression but they're really connected to our work and a lack of satisfaction in the work that we do, Mm. kind of this rise and grind culture leading to a feeling of depletion. Now, the way tech fits into that is, you know, tech allows us to always be on, you know, we can always check our email, we can always check our Slack channel, we're never off work, we think we can multitask when in fact, we can't, Um, you know, our brain doesn't have the ability to do three things at once, even though you want to eat lunch, listen to a podcast, and check your email, we can only do one thing at a time. And when we try to multitask, we do all those things poorly. Um, And it actually leads to a real sense of fatigue, exhaustion, we get brain fog. So you know, in the book, I talk about the difference between multitasking and mindfulness. And when we really want to be efficient, sometimes in our goal to be efficient, we try to multitask, but it's it's actually reducing our productivity.
0: Yeah, I've definitely been there before. So, um, what do you think as the way to tell the difference between, you know, true burnout or if your kid is just lazy or is just kind of feeling a little uh, un- unmotivated or um, trying to get out of something or something? Yeah, like
1: I mean, and. I think, you know, part of it is having that conversation, but there are some external signs, like just even physical signs. Um, Young people will start complaining about headaches or, you know, even backaches and fatigue and they want to sleep. Teenagers already want to sleep a lot. But that brain fog, that loss of motivation, low energy levels. and withdrawing from things that they love so you know if they love sports and suddenly they're not doing it and they Mm. they want to miss the practice or they love dance or music so those are some kind of red flags that would say you're might be headed towards burnout and teenagers especially those heading into college years are highly stressed if we look at a group of the most stressed people, it's the age of between 15 and 24. And, you know, that university admission cycle or graduating um, from high school and the demands, uh, even if you're not going to college are are really intense at that age group. So they're really a high risk category.
0: Interesting. And so then if burnout is kind of, about feeling that, feeling like you don't have the passion for what you're doing and you're just kind of going through the motions then, is the solution sort of helping them find, A, cut some stuff um, and find some time to, but then also find, rekindle the passion somehow? Yeah. uh,
1: So in the book, I talk about our two nervous systems. I say we pretty much operate in either survival, which is that stress response of freeze, fight or flight nothing happens in there other than those three things uh we feel anxious we feel irritated or we feel distracted the rest of life everything we want all learning all growth all recovery all repair all creativity innovation all of that happens in the parasympathetic nervous system Or the growth nervous system. So, you know, if you lose your passion, it's really not that hard to get back. You know, in this sense, I say it's simple, but simple is not easy. It's simple to sleep and drink water, but most of us are chronically sleep deprived and chronically dehydrated. So, you know, when we hear these simple things, we're like, oh, but they're actually not easy. And knowing is not doing. We know they're important, but that doesn't mean we're doing them. So if we want to move and get out of burnout, we have to move from that survival system to that growth system. And I say the best way to do that is a little trick that I put in the book is anything you wouldn't do if you're being chased by a tiger will move you from one system survival into growth. So if you're being chased by a tiger, you wouldn't stop and take long, deep breaths, right? You would You would breathe like really shallow. (laughs) Uh, If you were being chased by a tiger, you wouldn't, you know, stop and be grateful for three things in your life. You know, you'd be looking for an exit. Uh, You wouldn't, you wouldn't play. You wouldn't do a cartwheel. You wouldn't look at an interesting leaf or stare at the clouds. So curiosity Mm. and recreational activities. So what you would do if you're being chased by a tiger is be anxious angry and run like hell and try to escape freaking
0: out (laughs) yeah
1: yeah
0: Uh, i like that a lot that's cool Mm -hmm. i noticed a couple references to nature and animals you also talk a lot about dolphins and how dolphins are a good model to follow as parents. Why is that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, uh I I my oldest son is 14 now and he grew up while well, I was hearing all these parenting metaphors and you know, there's the snowplow and the helicopter and the tiger and you know, there really wasn't right. anything about what to do, like what actually to do well. And like the
0: good parent, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: And then in my practice, uh, you know, I started to tell people that, you know what, we don't even know what it means to be human anymore. We've forgotten how we are hardwired and what's in our biology. And sometimes we have to look outside ourselves to see ourselves. So I started to use this metaphor of a dolphin. And I would tell people like, look, dolphins swim in the ocean, but guess what? They sleep by alternating their brain hemisphere. Spheres, one at a time for 20 minutes, but they do it because it's that important for their survival and growth. So, you know, the metaphor of the dolphin is about the qualities of parental relationship. You don't want to be the shark, which is overbearing and aggressive. You also don't want to be a jellyfish, which is lacking expectations and rules. That's permissive parenting. You want to be authoritative in that middle place. The body of the animal is firm, but flexible. So you want to have rules, expectations, but you want to be flexible and adaptable as they grow and different children's personalities. And you want to bring in three key activities into your life. And these are three things dolphins and all mammals do every day. Their play, others, meaning social connection, and downtime. So, you know, those three activities are sacred activities. They're the key to our success and motivation. But children are not playing enough. Um, they're not connecting enough in real life, and they're not getting enough downtime. So, all of that kind of was part of the metaphor of the Dolphin Parent book I wrote in 2014. And the goal of the dolphin parent is to have a dolphin kid Uh, and a dolphin child or kid has those qualities um, that the dolphins are kind of known for. They're curious, they're collaborative, they're good communicators, they're community minded, you know, they have creativity. So those 21st century skills that are so important, you know, for the future, for being future ready in an ever changing, fast paced world
0: we're here with dr shimmy kang talking about the neuroscience of teenage technology addiction and we're not done yet here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show
1: and teaching kids healthy assertiveness oh my gosh there's so many adults i see in my practice who have had so many issues in the workplace, in their relationship, because they just don't know how to be assertive, how to say no in a healthy way that's not rude, and they don't feel guilty about. Now, I think what's where parents get into the trap is they feel they can't use any tech. I think what you want to do is call it out. So like if I'm at a parking lot and I pull out my phone and my kids are like, oh, mom, you shouldn't be doing that.
0: Yeah, Yeah,
1: I will tell them. I'm like, look, I'm not on Snapchat and I'm not playing a video game. I'm paying the grocery bill and booking your dentist appointment. Uh, So let them know that you're not mindlessly scrolling if that's what you're doing. So I don't think parents have to be model the exact same behavior they want in their kids because we have more responsibility and we need to use tech for more practical reasons.
0: Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we
1: do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.